Welcome to EJB Talks, Rutgers Blaustein School Experts in Policy, Planning, and Health, where we talk with our faculty and staff experts, as well as students, about how the fields of public policy, urban planning, public health, health administration, and public and urban informatics affect your lives. Welcome to EJB Talks. I'm Stuart Shapiro, the Associate Dean of the Faculty at the Blaustein School, and the purpose of this podcast is to talk with my colleagues and our alumni about policy, planning, and health, the interaction between these fields, and how they affect people in New Jersey, the United States, and the world. Today, I'm very happy to have Professors Radha Jagannathan, who is our professor in our nationally ranked uh, urban planning program, and Michael Camasso, a professor in the Rutgers Agriculture and Food Economics Department. Together, they run the Rutgers Nurture Through Nature program. Welcome to the podcast, Rada and Michael. Thanks for having us, Stuart. Yeah, thanks. Rada, let's start with you, since you're my Blaustein connection here. Um, A lot of your work has been about evaluating government programs to improve social welfare. How'd you become interested in this? So this is something uh, you probably don't know, or many people don't know, but I had my start at Rutgers in, back in 1983, working as a project secretary at the School of Social Work. And uh, I, I was working on a project that involved evaluating the efficacy of the welfare system, particularly the training program that was given to frontline workers, the public welfare system in Essex County. So uh, coincidentally, Michael, Uh, was hired as the methodologist for the project, for the evaluation work. And that's when we met. So we've been working together since 1983. Wow. So he has known me since I was yay high. (laughs) Surprisingly, I'm still yay high. Yeah, for the audience, Rod is not much more than yay high right now. (laughs) So, and I worked on that project and slowly uh, uh, my functions kind of expanded from being secretarial to you know, research assistants, and then I became a research associate. And at the same time, I was also going to school. So I was taking classes in regression and stuff like that. And and um, I had a unique situation where I could actually relate classroom learning to actual project work, which involved evaluating social programs. So that's, I think, how I, I became interested. I was kind of, you know, indoctrinated into that field by Michael Camasso. So uh that's how I began. And then, you know, soon one thing led to another and there were other projects. Once you have this evaluation toolkit mastered, you know, you could just bring it in just about any to any substantive area that you, you know, you're called to do work. At. So I had done a number of evaluations in uh, Pennsylvania, New York, and I had run a number of uh, youth services programs, and uh, there was an evaluation component to all of those. And um, when I was uh, finishing up my PhD, uh, I had a number of job offers, and one of them was to uh, come to Rutgers, and part of it was to evaluate the public welfare system of Newark, New Jersey. And this was a pretty high profile uh, project and that's, uh, as Rada said, that's where I met Rada. And uh, I've always been interested in this accountability factor uh, and uh, and basically trying to get uh, 
hard evidence of whether or not a program worked or not. And in ag economics at Penn State, uh, we learned a lot of statistical methods, a lot of methodological uh, techniques, I, I guess you would say, to evaluate programs. A lot of that had already been done in agriculture for years and years. And bringing it to human services was something that was interesting to me. And that's what I, I ended up doing. And we kept on doing that for years after that. Ever since I've been here in 1983, I took some time off and I came back again. The long and short of it, we've evaluated millions and millions of dollars worth of programs on the federal level, on state levels, uh, basically in human services, employment, And at education. very local levels too, like yeah. New Brunswick, for example. And that's how we got into Nurture Through Nature and uh, some of the issues, because it all appears to come back to uh, human capital development, especially for young people, young people that don't do well in school, end up in some of the other systems we looked at, like the welfare system, the cr uh, criminology, and the corrections systems, the child welfare systems in DIPAS. It all starts with the schools, and it ends up badly for a lot of young people, and they end up in those systems. I definitely would love to explore some of those things a little further, but I know we want to focus a little bit on nurture through nature here. So let, let me turn to that. Maybe we'll come back to some of the program evaluation stuff, um, depending on time. But um, can you, for the audience, explain what nurture through nature is? Sure. Um, it's an after school in the summer program, or what it um, commonly comes under out of school time programs, OSD programs. And um, we founded the program to help bridge the gap between more affluent school districts and, and the New Brunswick school district. So uh, we could provide the same kind of quality education focused on STEM learning for kids uh, either after school and, and more intensively during the summer. So that's basically what it does. It just improves uh, their ac academic grades in math and science and language arts, and it also is aimed at increasing their interest in STEM disciplines, whether they want to you know, move on to higher education STEM fields or to join the labor force uh, using, you know, in STEM careers. So that's basically the objective of the program. And the, the name comes from our uh, desire to have the program be inspired by nature and assisted by technology. Uh, so that, that's what we do. So uh, when did it get started? Back in 2010. Uh, so we are in our 11th or 12th year right now. Uh, and what age kids are we talking about here? Well, we cater to um, kids eight years all the way through high, high school, third grade through 12th grade. So our very first uh, cohort uh, that started with us in 2010 graduated high school in 2019. And we actually had a celebratory graduation, NTN graduation function at the auditorium, Blaustein Auditorium. That's great. So kids stick with it for year after summer after summer as uh, as they're going through school there? It's a longitudinal study and we, we designed it as a randomized experiment. So uh -huh. we can actually you know easily read off, almost read off what impact the program has because we have a control group that doesn't participate in any of the um, activities. So every uh, at the end of every year, 
we get uh, academic data from the New Brunswick school system. And we also additionally do some surveys of both the NTN group and the control group. And then we uh, analyze the data to see, or to at least demonstrate to both the funder and the school system that the program is working or not working. Uh And has it been working? Yep. So uh, our data show that most of the cohorts are showing improvements in their, you know, uh, cognitive testing, like math and science and standardized testing and so forth. So we have published our findings. This, this has been a very long demonstration, 10 years. Yeah, demonstration. 10 years is a long time right. to collect data. And our most recent data show that um, the program has been successful in increasing the science and the math scores of the NTN students relative to the control students by about 0.4 standard deviations, which is a big effect size in the education field. And we also look at non-cognitive skills, such as you know, the ability to get along with others, you know, being pro-social behavior, higher order thinking, like problem solving, leadership skills, that kind of stuff, and conscientiousness, like being punctual, having grit or stick to itiveness, as they are, as it's called. So there, the effect is even more dramatic. You know, the, the control group is flat. The NTN group is like up, like that 0.8 standard deviations. That's great. I know grit was becoming a very big thing in education policy about yep. maybe a de- middle of the last decade, a decade ago though, or so. It, it really sort of started to to pick up there. So that's great. So you said sort of through exposure to nature and uh, and technology. Uh, can you tell us what that means in practice? So one of our, you want to jump in, Mikey? Oh, you can do it. Uh, so one of the projects, for example, um, you know, in na- technology takes a lot of inspiration from nature, you know, like, uh, like the dragonfly um, uh, could be a model for drones. Uh-huh. So we actually uh, uh, help kids realize that what uh, technology copies, uh, it's called uh, biomimicry, right? So um, we, we introduce kids to identifying butterflies and dragons. Our kids can't tell the difference between male and female tiger swallowtails. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, between monarchs and, and uh, viceroys, which, which look very similar to the you know, uh, naked eye. So uh, these kids, so our, uh, our objective is to really train them in classification, identification, which really forms the basis for critical thinking. You know, critical thinking can't exist in, in, in a vacuum, right? You need to have a knowledge base that you can use. So that's been our objective, and that's how we bring nature and technology together. Gotcha. I see. And that's we, we have cool. a ton of um, hands-on experiments that um, you know people from the physics department, faculty from the physics department, people from the nursing department, people from biology department at Rutgers. They all come in and do hands-on experiments with our kids. Oh, that's wonderful. So tell us. I mean, I, I guess now some of your earliest kids are in college. Do you have? Uh, do you continue to track them? Do you have success stories? Are they uh, about uh, where where they are now? Sure. Uh, I think they are in their second year. One, uh, some one is at Penn State. One is at Ohio State. One is in. Um, I don't want to give out names. Uh, one is in Fairleigh Dickinson. Another one at Ryder. There are four of them at Rutgers. One at the Rutgers Engineering School. Uh-huh. And they're all doing really well. And anytime we want them to come and talk to the younger cohorts about their own experiences and how important it is to attend each NTN session, 
they will come at the drop of a hat. Oh, that's great. They'll, so we keep in touch with them. And uh, some of them have, uh, one of them ha has had a, an important internship from the uh, Defense Department. Mm -hmm. And he's placed at the uh, Advanced uh, Institute for Advanced uh, physics at, at Princeton. Yep. Mm -hmm. So they've had a lot of success and they still keep in touch with us. They're very grateful for their NTN experience. And they tell us that, I mean, even though it's anecdotal from them, they tell us that they wouldn't have pursued the particular subjects they're pursuing if it weren't for their participation at NTN. Well, that's, that's great. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's, narrative helps too. Stories help too in terms of... Uh, yeah, they personalize forward. it. You know, they yeah. humanize the, the whole thing. That, that's absolutely right. So I have to imagine that last year was tough, right, for the program with the pandemic and, and such. How did you deal with that? How has 2021 been different so far than 2020? Well, we switched, just like we very much did at the, at the Blaustein School and elsewhere at Rutgers, we switched completely to remote learning. And, and because the, the public schools had also switched to remote learning, there was, you know, a lot of screen fatigue. Among yep. students. So my kids to, have it. I can tell you that much. Yeah. So we had to shorten the, the sessions instead of two days a week. We did it maybe, you know, one day a week or split uh, into smaller chunks. But we still continue to do our online experiments, hands on experiments online. We would drop off all the supplies for the experiment the night before or the week before at the individual homes. Oh, wow. And then they would use that uh, when it came time for their session. So we've been, um, we haven't missed a beat, maybe a, a small beat. A half a beat. Yeah. Um, yeah. So do you envision getting back to, to being in person this fall or what, what's the goal in terms of that? Is, that is going to be a, it's, this is going to be a very difficult situation we have because uh, uh, the schools uh, in New Brunswick uh, until I, I, this point have not had the kids back in school at all. Not at all. Been wow. remote. Uh -huh. Some other districts have had them in for a few days. Apparently, starting the middle of April, would be able to come back for two days a week. But the year is almost over. We're going to have to uh, build back again. Okay, we're, we're talking now about a summer program again. And uh, just like the university has suffered in terms of students who have not continued uh, because they don't, they'd like to be on campus in person. We've had this kind of situation happen with our kids too. So it is going to be, uh, we're going to have to wait and see uh, if we do a summer program. It's still not clear yet what the protocols are at the school, uh, the public school as to whether or not groups of students can meet together in the summer. Uh, and let's, so we don't know. And then we're going to have to find out, just like Rutgers is going to have to find out in September how this goes when everybody comes back or most people come back. Uh, it's it's really created a problem for us. And uh, There are a lot of variables that, uh, you know, there's still, you know. But uh, to get back to your earlier question, out of the first cohort, we had, uh, I guess, 17 people. Out of 17, I guess seven of them are in, seven of our students are in four-year colleges. We got three of them on, on scholarships. We got about three in the engineering school, right? Two. Two, yeah. And uh, if you took random samples of New Brunswick students, you know, 17 at a time, 
you're never going to get those kind of numbers, okay, uh, with other groups. So we we published in the Cambridge Journal of Education, the Economics of Education Journal, and a lot of other leading journals. And uh, we think we show a, a pretty good effect. The problem we've got on the hard skills is that what we do is we slow down a decline. If you take a look at math scores in uh, poor districts, they tend to decline over the years. <laughs> and we have slowed that down, but we have not raised it. And uh, uh, no one has, okay? Uh, but we slowed the decline down. And there's a thing called summer fallback. Mm -hmm. And it happens to poor district kids because, uh, you know, middle-class students and more advanced uh, advantaged districts, they're able to send their kids to summer school and tutoring and that. These these families don't have the means. That's really our objective, and so, you know, to give them that, yeah. you know. So you have a ratcheting effect down, you're trying to stop it from going down, you know, each summer. And right. then, of course, you know, we've had this happen last summer, right? And now possibly again this summer. So it really uh, creates an issue for us. But empirically, you know, we track this and um, we have some pretty hard evidence. And that's why it's, it hasn't been very difficult for us to publish in pretty good journals with this kind of thing. And we've actually even done it overseas now. Uh, we've done some in Spain and uh, we did a, we're doing a program in Italy. We, we did a Jersey Roots Global Reach project. Yeah. Oh, very nice. So we took something uh, very local in New Brunswick, the MTN program, and we transported it to Granada, Spain and Catania in Italy. Great. So, but those have been shorter of shorter duration, so we haven't really had uh, systematic you know, data collected and results published from one year. I mean, these are not outcomes that are amenable to changes overnight or even one year. Sure. So it's a longitudinal look, and that's exactly what NTN provides. We have a pretty good model. You know, we have a successful uh, model. So it's uh, it's interesting. I mean, you were talking about that summer fallback. A lot of people are worried that what we we have right now, because of the pandemic, is a year and a half. Well, what we will have is a year and a half of summer fallback. Um, you know, because it's uh, remote learning is different than in person learning, and attendance at remote learning is worse than attendance in in person learning. So, you see that in our own classes, right? Absolutely. So absolutely. These are young kids you're talking about. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, you multiply that by a factor of 10. Yeah, you know, ab absolutely. So what is the uh, what is the long run plan for uh, for for nurture through nature? You talked about doing it elsewhere and replicating it elsewhere. Is it something that you think uh, you will expand either here in New Jersey, in the United States, etc.? Um, what are your long term plans? That's definitely in the works. So we have been. I mean, the, the year, of course, has set us back with, with respect to, you know, uh, seeking funds to expand the program. But we have every intention of uh, selling uh, uh, this model or marketing this model to other school districts because we have it's uh, our data is uh, pretty robust. Our findings are pretty robust and they come from a pretty robust research design, experimental design. So we have something to show and something to share with other school districts. So that's one track. The second track we've been working on is Banu actually introduced us to uh, Anna Branch, who was the VP for 
uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. So they've been giving uh, the DEI uh, paradigm a lot of importance at the, at the university. And uh, Vanu uh, correctly thought that this program fits into that paradigm really nicely. And um, what we would like to uh, do is, you know, she's arranging a meeting uh, with, with the provost and, the, and, and a branch for, for the two of us. And what we would like to ask is to, you know, we are at the ready to really implement the university's uh, more recent mission of DEI. And if this program is in DEI, I don't know what else is DEI. Yeah, no, it certainly sounds right? like that. So that's the second, so that the reason we did that that way is we've been, uh, you know, fundraising for the program nonstop. We write three, four, five proposals every year. We actually have an NSF proposal that's pending um, uh, we're waiting to hear back from. So we realized that if we, if this program needs, uh, uh, has to continue, it's imperative that it become institutionalized. It cannot be institutionalized at the school system because they don't have enough resources. So it's got to be institutionalized at Rutgers. And that's why we are uh, really eager to meet with, uh, you know, Anna Branch and the others to see that there is a, that they, we are not existing like hand to mouth, you know. So there is a constant uh, funding, so we can actually focus on strengthening the program rather than writing proposals every, you know, two days. Yeah, institutionalization is always a challenge. Yeah. Thank you both for coming on. It's been great to hear about this program, um, and great having you on. Thanks a lot, Stuart. It, uh, I'm. I'm Always happy to talk about NTN. Wonderful. And thanks uh, Thanks also to Amy Cobb and Karen Olson, who helped make the podcast run. We'll be back next week with another talk with another expert from the Blaustein School. Until then, stay safe. <laughs>